<laughs> yeah. Wow, we're doing this. All this right. is how. So, hey, how's it going? Hey. Uh, welcome to It's on the List, everybody. The internet's most stable media <laughs> podcast. Yes. The, internet, the, the only podcast on the internet. <laughs> the only podcast that exists. I am your co-host, Mason. And I'm your other co-host, Noah Marger. And we have a, we have a really special guest with us today. Yeah. Skyping in from Philadelphia is uh, my friend and co-host, other co-host, Connor Crockford. Hey. Uh, how you doing, Connor? Introduce yourself. I'm doing good. Hi, everybody. I'm Connor Crockford. Uh, I am a writer and a, you know, weird guy, professional weirdo. Who, uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's basically what I do. Uh, I'm a writer who goes under C.M. Crockford. All of my poetry, uh, nonfiction and fiction is published under that. And uh, I live in Philadelphia, and I also run a podcast with Mason here called The Barn, a podcast about The Shield. Yeah, we are not talking about The Shield today. If you want to listen to me talk about The Shield, we have a heavy back catalog, (laughs) and we're still going strong. Yes. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about how you met each other just real quick? Oh, yeah, we should. Uh, I told Noah a little bit ahead of time. This is, uh, so Connor and I met in a Facebook group uh, based around The the Dissolve. Yes. If anyone remembers The Dissolve, the uh, long-missed. Beloved. I feel like my my, my big three, my big three, like... uh, like the things that I miss kind of consistently are like Philip Seymour Hoffman, Prince, and the Dissolve. Wow. <laughs> like just yeah. three kind of North Stars for me, like in a early a good part of my like kind of college and adolescence. Uh, but if the if the dissolution of the Dissolve brought me anything, it was a ton of great online friends. And Connor was a guy I saw poking around in like a lot of subgroups and just kind of. Uh, Adam is a friend on Facebook, and we just started talking. We realized that we like like a lot of the same weird shit. Yeah, yeah, very and, similar uh, tastes. Very similar tastes, and we would just, like, kind of message and talk with each other a lot. And then he had the great idea to do the uh, podcast about The Shield. Uh, and if you want to talk about that a little bit to kind of tease the other podcast, uh, I, so, what's, so talk about The Shield a little bit. Let's just, let's just hype this up a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. So The Shield is a Greek tragedy that essentially is seven seasons of a perfect cop drama that actually takes the dramatic form seriously. And it's the tragedy of a guy who wants to be a good guy, but he just isn't. So, Connor, uh, we have a guest choice this episode. Yes. And uh, Connor brought on both the album and the movie for today's discussion. And uh, why don't you talk prelude a little bit the uh, the album you wanted to bring on? Yeah, absolutely. So the album I want to bring on today is uh, High by Royal Headache, which is a punk, like, punk soul album that was released on August 21st, 2015, so about four years ago by What's a Rapture, and it's the last album of this Australian band, Royal Headache, and I think it's just this beautiful collection of songs that are, like, aggressive and soulful and just so heartfelt, and they're coming from this guy whose heart is just beating so loud with the music. It's great. Noah, what was your... uh What was your history with this album? Have you heard of this before? Zero. Okay. I had never heard of this band. I had never heard a song off this album by accident. (laughs) Like, I didn't even know. Like, Like it didn't pop up in an episode of a TV show or something? Not as far as I know, no, but I am watching Dawson's Creek right now, so we'll see see if it pops up in Dawson's (laughs) Creek. Uh, But, uh, yeah, uh, literally no history with this album except for the fact that uh, you're the one who said, hey, like, let's let's listen to this guy. Let's talk about it. Uh, I was going to ask you guys the same thing. Uh, Mason and Connor, what's your guys' history with this? Mason, you want to take that first? Yeah, totally. just, um, yeah, I can't remember how I heard about this album the first time, but it just kind of, fl- it probably floated into my life. 
uh, I think pr- my memory is like within the last two years. Like it's definitely an LA album, and it's definitely an album I listened to when I was sitting at my desk, bored out of my mind at my last job. <laughs> I can't remember the kind of rabbit hole I found to get to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I listened to it, and I I, I listened to the whole thing, and um, and uh, Need You was a song that popped into my head a lot from time to yeah. time. Oh, never yeah. really gone through and given the whole album another shot. Mm-hmm. Um, until this. Connor, what's, what's your history with this? How did this come into your life? Yes, so I was a fan of Royal Headache um, right, I think, after this EP came out. That was their first release. Uh, I'm going to guess that. That was their first album. I heard about them, I think, either on Pitchfork or somewhere else, and then I immediately just picked them up, and I just fell in love with this band because it had that, like, the soul-swinging thing of Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye because, like, the, the vocalist Shogun is just a brilliant singer. He is, I think, one of the great soul singers of the 21st century. And um, that, that's my thesis on this album. And he makes this album so beautiful and so compelling. But also, like, the other musicians are kind of trying to match him in that passion. Like, this kind of beautiful, romantic guy uh, who is so emotional in these swings to the fences. It's great. It is, it's like... Kind of, it's everything you kind of just need in a rock band, like a bass guitarist, singer, drummer, you know, very bare bones. Uh, the last album we talked about on the show was uh, Randy Newman's Good Old Boys. Yeah. yeah, have you ever heard that album, Connor? I actually have not. I do like Randy Newman, actually, though. That was a, a ton of fun. It'll, it'll turn Randy Newman on its ear. If, yeah. <laughs> is if you're not, like, real used to, like, his, his non-Disney type stuff. And even if you are used to his non-Disney type stuff, it's pretty different from, like, the Sail Away album or whatever uh, oh, I Sail Love Away, LA yeah. was off or oh, whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's really great, but it's also a very uh, lush and lushly produced album. A lot totally. of strings, a lot of... Um, and he's handling, like, history. He's handling, like, racism and stuff like that. This is much more, like... Cons- it's, like... I love just how, like, just kind of nitty-gritty and fast and just right out the gate this thing is. Mm-hmm. Like, it is all... It's, like, kind of all feeling. Yeah. And um, just... Uh, and he's feeling some shit on this, man. I, I, I don't want to lie. I was I was driving around listening to this yesterday. Yeah. And Carolina came on, oh. and I started to get, like, really kind of emotional. And it hit me in, like, kind of, like, like exactly. an Alex... You you po- pointed out like punk soul. It's very uh, like um, indebted to I want to say like like uh, like big star. I like, or, like that. the replacements. Like Shogun's right with like a, a an Alex Chilton kind of guy. Like just someone whose heart is on his sleeve, uh, and the rest of the band and the rest of the universe kind of molds around it mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, this is just such a great album. That's all I got to say about it. Really, it's interesting that you guys uh, kept saying punk because the pretty much one of the only things I was thinking about uh, while listening to this album is like, it's almost as if they plopped Sid Vicious in like Vampire Weekend or something. <laughs> is kind of how I was thinking about it. Like it's like he has a like yeah, that's kind of like specifically that uh, like the Anarchy in the UK or whatever that song is. Yeah. Uh, like just I just kept thinking about like it almost feels as though he's in the wrong band a yeah. little bit. Like it kind of has mm-hmm. that like weird dissonance of like this music is doing one thing, but his vocals and the like the, the grittiness and the gruffness of his vocals, not to a Tom Waits degree or anything, but just he's singing like it sounds like he's like really singing and he's straining to sing, but it sounds good still. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, uh, Connor, do you want to talk? I know that you love the song. Wouldn't you know? 
Um, do you want to just talk about that one for a little bit? Because that's a definite highlight on the I love kind of every song in this album, I think. But I think the one-two punch of what you know and Caroline are like my agreed are like right where they mo- where like the they're, heart is for me. They're just gorgeous, and and Carolina too has this like debt to like kind of like a little bit of the bands that came after the Birds, like REM, yeah. and the Velvet Underground a little bit. I think like some of Lou Reed's more like chirpy, happy songs. Yeah, it's got this perfect mix of aggression and and deep heart, you know, as we talked about and. I think you need to hit the nail on the head with a big star thing, too, that, like, there is that, like, sense of a man governed by passion, uh, for better or worse, and it kind of consumes him. Um, but that's what I love about, I want to talk about when you know, that's really why I want to talk about this album some ways, is just that Wouldn't You Know is the most spellbinding, um, piece of, like, soul music on the album, I think. And, like, Shogun really, like, restrains himself, he goes backward, he really tries not to go too far. And he mm-hmm. just goes for like, and it only, he only like unleashes a bit in the chorus. And even then there is a restraint there and it makes the emotions so much deeper um, because you can feel the intensity of them through his control. And I think it's a beautiful piece of singing and songwriting. Like the, the vulnerability of the lyric is incredible to me. Um, like the, this, this fear of love, like what would you, what are you going to do that actually happens to you? It's, it's very yeah, powerful. And it's, not like just I love it's the scared of of the emotion of love not like it's not attached to another person it's just not having felt love before Mm -hmm. and starting to feel it and realizing that you've never felt it before and that's like scaring you and being stuck in like that moment uh I think it's great you were you talking about it kind of made me think about like uh uh the song Losing My Religion by R.E.M. Oh, interesting. Um, Which I think is another song that, in Michael's types, like, is just delivered kind of like this. Um, And it's just... Thanks for coming on the show and just excavating, excavating this, like, kind of lost (laughs) classic, I think. Like, this deserves to be, I think, like, heard and, like, shared, like, and kind of just, like, this huge... I think it's just such a great fucking song and album, too. That's the thing. Like, I think this is kind of a lost classic, almost. You know, the thing is, though, this actually has cult status, which is really good. Both these albums have huge cults. Like, I was one of them. I knew people who would, like, go to the shows and they'd be sold out. And eventually, I think that broke up the band a bit. I think Shogun was really not into the pressure of that many people being into this band, like, having a fandom. And... It also sounds like he just had conflicts with his bandmates, so they broke up too soon. You know, it's a shame, but I kind of get why that happened as well. I mean, we're, stranger things have happened. There could be a royal headache. We we could lead the charge on a royal headache reunion tour, because it would be awesome to see them live, I think. I know they that have, Shogun they, now has a solo band, and they're pretty good. I've been listening to them. Oh, sweet. Yeah. They got do, they have a, they, do they have an album before this? They do. They have. It's called Royal Headache. It's a subtitled, and it's really good. It's a bit fuzzier, but Down the Lane is also like another like great soul ballad, and there's like a couple instrumentals on that. They're actually really good. It's it's good okay. stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So favorite tracks on the album for y'all are the Wouldn't You Know, Caroline, like back to back double header. Is that fair to say? I think yeah. So. Yeah. It's I also so love. Uh, I also just love Need You. I kind of love every single song on this album is yeah, the thing. Me too. I love Need I, I Need You is just for like just popping around in my head all the time. I just think that the the guitar in that song and the energy of that song just uh and the organ. Just kind of yeah, and the organ too definitely the organ is like great. the X Factor. It's such a good and I didn't feature. catch up on I didn't catch up on that until uh like 
just this first, like, just this listen, um, where there's that organ there. Uh, I think those would be my three. I'd have to, like, get another look at the album, but I think those are my three off the top of my head. Yeah, no. What do you what do you think of the album? Yeah, I like uh, I like it. Uh, it's not like the type of music that I normally listen to, which sure. is nice. I'm always trying to you know branch out, listen to different kinds of Hell things. Yeah, man. yeah me too. Um, and uh, well, like I said before, like to me, this is you drop Sid Vicious in Vampire Weekend, or you drop Sid Vicious. <laughs> I think in, that's like, a great way to put it. Or like, like it. you know, you put Sid Vicious on stage with like Mayor Hawthorne or someone like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just oh kind of get this like. Yeah, isn't that a throwback, Mayor Hawthorne? <laughs> yeah. But, like, you kind of put these two forces on stage that shouldn't work very well together, kind of. Like, in theory, you're like, oh, like, I feel like Sid Vicious should stay in his lane and uh, whoever, you know, Blue-Eyed Soul or even just Soul needs to stay in their lane. But you kind of find a way to meld them and sort of make them coexist. Uh, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship, which is nice to listen to. Um, I would say that I enjoyed the Wouldn't You Know Carolina like part of the album the most and yeah. I probably on a second or third listen probably would kind of just go back to those two I also like the first uh the my own fantasy I think that's a good little uh track to start the album off with mm-hmm. yeah um and I like the album I I wouldn't like run out and be like you gotta listen to this album but I do like it I do enjoy it I'm glad I listened to it I'll yeah. probably be listening to Carolina on you know pretty regularly mm-hmm. I would yeah so our it's uh, the uh, the kind of rating scale that we're like stumbling through, like figuring out as we do this podcast is: would you recommend it or would you not? We're probably we should probably have like a like a from the rafters kind of one that we'll sure. get to at some point when the situation um, supposes necessi- itself. Necessi- necessi- it makes it necessary or sure. whatever. Um, I love this album. I think I would I would definitely recommend it, but I think that it's kind of like. I need to like kind of would like suss out like a kind of more of like an odd like a, like an audiophile kind of thing like I, you you know the kind of people that would dig this music mm-hmm. and you kind of uh, and it's really just I think like a lost treasure. Um, I love it. I'm a big rock and roll guy. I'm a Me big too. rock and roller. I think this is just it's rock and roll is just such a good fucking just I I love to just find these little. N- pockets of rock and roll sure and this is this is a fun one this is one that i like a lot i would definitely recommend this i think i'm not gonna be half hard on this this yeah. is a full thread recommendation full for me. thread recommend yeah, yeah for exactly me. all right Connor, I th- we probably know what you'll say but just say yeah, it for everyone else <laughs> full throated recommend yeah yeah that sounds good to me yeah hell yeah all right well so, we uh we have an album and uh yes. we also have a movie that i'm really glad that you oh, wanted yeah. to watch. Yes. Because oh, this is do it, baby. <laughs> this is a movie that had been on my list ever since I heard about it, which actually was somewhat recent, I would say within the last six months. Right. That's probably when I heard of this Ooh, movie for okay, the first cool. time. Yeah. And so I'm really glad you picked it. Uh, it's definitely a movie that I don't think a lot of people, whether they know it or not, don't really talk about enough. Exactly. Um, and so I'm really glad that you decided to pick this and you want to kind of talk about what that is yeah. for everyone else. Connor, you want to you want to prelude this one as well? Sure thing. Uh, So Miami Blues is something I literally just stumbled onto it because it was streaming and I read a review by Ebert, you know, the trusted man himself, Mm -hmm. the trusty guy, the trusty guy. Exactly. Like, you know, if you want to know about an older movie, I think you should go to Ebert. That's always my take. He really liked this one. Um, It was one of his favorites of that year. Um, Directed by George Armitage. Is that right? Yeah, directed by George Armitage, mm-hmm. who I think, and produced also by Jonathan Demme. And, and you see yeah. it, and Gary Getzman, uh. and you see a ton of, one, what a great duo, what a great team, and there's so many, like, Demi players in this, it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. I love all the cast of this movie. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee is my favorite <sighs> actress. 
She's but a chameleon. I she was, is a freaking chameleon. Oh my god, hundred percent. And yet she has this like weird intensity that is always specific to her in every performance. Yeah, uh, yeah. whether that's like Dorothy Parker or Daisy Domergue in Hateful yeah. Eight. Um, or even even uh, I can't remember her character's name for life of me, but her role in Fast Times. There is a certain oh, level oh, of yeah, like yeah. import, like I won't say importance, but like a certain level of like. She clearly knows what she's doing because she's playing the shit out of a character that could easily be super uninteresting. Oh my god, mm-hmm. yeah. And I just that's a she's the part of Fast Times that like just pops to me like more than Jess you see Jess Piccoli every fucking where. Yeah. And right. but the thing that I remember most from Fast Times is is uh her character. Is her character. She's great. Uh this is Miami Blues, nineteen eighty one, directed by George Armitage. Nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. I'm sorry, I don't know why I thought it was it kind of feels like an eighties movie. It totally it's the does. last eighties movie. It's, it's like one the last eighties movie, yeah. is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's kind of, it's very, it's, you know, there's a lot of, we've been getting a lot of end of an era movies recently. It's 2019. We got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which Connor just saw, I saw again. I know Noah's actually not as keen on that. Not as keen, but I, I, I won't say <laughs> but, This is not Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, you get fun. these like kind of end of an era movies. This is, this is not really an end of an era movie, but it is like kind of the last movie that accurately represents like the feel of the 80s. Like it feels like a Miami Vice or like a, like a, like yeah, like a Michael Mann or a William Friedkin movie yeah. from around the same well, time. Well, you, it's it's interesting because like, like Raging Bull came out in 1980, but it doesn't feel like an 80s movie. Exactly. It's interesting, like how do 80s in their aesthetic and in their personalities end versus when do they end on a timeline? Right, exactly. Because right. this is definitely this came out in 1990. It was probably filmed in 1989. I'm yeah. not 100% sure on sure. that, but best guess is it probably was filmed the year before and then came out the next year. But it totally feels like an 80s movie. And it's interesting to think, well, when do the 90s, as we know it, start? And I don't even want to begin to try and get into yeah, that on this podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, right. like, so. just one of the first things that come to mind is, like, maybe, like, I don't know, like, when grunge starts to become a thing. I feel like it's like, okay, yeah. now we're in the 90s. Nirvana's here, Pearl Jam's here, and then movies, in a way, sort of follow suit. And they go, and movies and TV kind of ebb and flow in terms of, like, what yeah, they're yeah, really yeah. all about. But, like, this does not feel like a 90s film. This feels like an 80s movie without a doubt. Yeah. So, so Connor, you're, you have a point you want to make here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have a take on this because I think what's funny about this movie is is how it is, you're right about the 80s thing, it does feel like an 80s movie. It's big and kind of excessive and crazy. And yet, yeah, I think what's interesting is how this is one of the 90s neo-noirs. So what mm. I mean by that is like the John Dahl like neo-noirs, like um, obviously The Last Seduction, Red Rock West, a uh, really underrated crime movie, by the way. Um, and yet it also belongs to like a period of like pulp paperbacks and, and like crime totally. novels. That Raymond yeah. Chandler feel mm-hmm. is very mm-hmm. present. Very there's much like so. there's like eight hundred Hoke Mosley books. Like I just looked it up <laughs> and there's there's so many Hoke I Mosley read these. books. Yeah, they look great. Yeah, I kinda do too. I love I so we haven't talked about uh what I think is great about this movie also is that Fred Ward gets top villain, but we can talk get talk I, into that later. I legitimately wrote down when the fuck do you see Fred Ward get top villain? <laughs> right? like, yeah, it's crazy. Well, he is an executive producer on it because I, I don't, I can't remember the. Let's see, I got this, I got this fun little Wikipedia article up here. But like, uh, I guess like Bill Horberg, who was one of the associate producers, brought the book to Fred, and he optioned it because he had the money at the time, I guess, to do it <laughs> uh, because he had just been working with Demi, and uh, I guess originally that he was, you know, like. Like he optioned it, but he's like, I don't really want to do it, and so he's like, why? And Jonathan Demi was like, Why don't you just give it to George? And I guess, which is also interesting because I don't think anyone else would be able to name a George Armitage film. 
Well, there's one I can think of. What is that? Gross Point Blank. Exactly. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like yeah. this and Gross Point Blank yes. are his, like, two. And that's yeah. it. And, like, this is, like, he'd been doing movies and, like, media since, like, the 70s. This yeah. comes out in 90. Gross Point Blank comes out in, I think, 97. Yeah. And it's, like, where the hell did this guy come from? <laughs> and then he just fucking stopped. I know. It is, it's, it's a damn he shame. He kind of... It is kind of a damn shame. Must just be. Fr- I feel like he's friends with like Demi or something. It's sure. like a guy that always works and is pro- like I. It would. I would love to talk about George Armitage about his career. See what that guy's up to. What yeah. his life has been like. Um, but so so you're talking about uh, before we got on the tangent. You're talking about like crime thrills and how this is like a neo noir as much as it is like a paperback uh, kind of thing. Yeah, and because it's part of this period of '90s noirs, uh, The Grifters is another one from the same year, 1990. Uh, also. Yeah, a couple of Jim Thompson adaptations in general, actually. There's a Getaway remake. Yeah, uh, Thompson was a huge point. Like, the, wasn't there an After Dark My Sweet in the yes, 90s at some point, Jason too? Jason Patrick. Actually, really good movie with him and Bruce Dern, and it's it's very well done. Okay. Uh, mostly. Uh, also directed by... Well, what did you say the name uh, of it was? After Dark After My Dark. Sweet, yeah. Great book. Great book and After movie. Dark, okay. And so, yeah, you know, it's I a lot of adaptations of little, like, pulp paperbacks. But also a lot of, like, original storytelling. You know, I don't think The Last Seduction is based on any novel. That's, like, a very pitch-black mm. film noir. Uh, with Linda Fiorentino is basically an anti-heroine who is incredibly, delightfully evil. Um, and but Miami Blues. Much like Miami Blues, Blues, yes. Very similar, yeah, like, kind of a male swagger, ma- toxic masculine version of Fiorentino's character. That, like, he is a psychopath who kind of relishes it, but also, like wants to be this normal husband and and dad. There's such this, like, there's this great part in this about, like, how he's, like, a foster kid or something, and we don't really learn his real name until, like, I think the last third, even. Yeah. That his name isn't Henry Gottlieb, it's, um, Freddie Fringer or whatever it is, Junior. The fact that he's a junior, I think, is awesome. They call him Junior. Yeah, I I just called him Junior. Yeah, Yeah. because, uh, it's, like, he... Baldwin plays this guy, and this is like one of this is a great Baldwin performance, oh and I don't think God. you'd ever get anything this manic out of him. You haven't really gotten anything this manic from him since I don't think since those voicemails. He left. Yeah, and you're not gonna get one ever again because now he's just like everyone knows he's actually like kind of an unstable guy, and yeah. it's all just like I feel like people just try to make like culture's just trying to make Adam Alec Baldwin happy. <laughs> like you want to play Trump? Like, sure, dude. Sure, dude. We'll do it. Yeah, just yeah. Adam us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do your terrible impression. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hate it so much. No, um, but Alec Baldwin, it's so sad so watching this movie. so fucking good in here. You hit the nail on the head. Why I, I, I kind of got sad watching this movie because I'm like, was Alec Baldwin ever this good again? I like, don't maybe know. Like Jack Donaghy, but like. Like in yeah. Jack Donaghy, like kind of in the early 2000s, like like when he's like Juan Tripp in, uh, in The yes. Aviator, I think he's pretty good. He's he's good as the uh, he's good as the bad. He has a bad voice in the SpongeBob movie. He's the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he talks, he's in The Cat in the Hat, he's which the is a the classic <laughs> for all intents and purposes. The they, literally, they literally wrote a character for him. That that character he plays does not exist <laughs> in the source material. <laughs> like, you know, like if you even want to call it, go as far to call it Cat in the Hat source material. It's just fucking crazy. Like, he gets to basically do his version of Harvey Keitel's character in Bad Lieutenant and and like mixed with like some of the craziness of Frank Booth without the profanity. Yeah. You oh know, my God. he just gets to be wild and then it's like, well, now you're Jack Donaghy or now you're uh, fucking the guy from the cat in the hat. You know, oh it's like, God. yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. But in he here, he's like, himself. in here, he yeah, plays this like, this this just kind of like I love that he plays him kind of like a like a lost little boy trying to see how much he can get away with, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of how 
like it's kind of he what makes him so terrifying is that it does kind of feel like a game to him right up until mm-hmm. it becomes very very serious um and he's great and i just love that he's paired with um Fred Ward, who is who uh, I believe has a has a profile that was etched from the side of a mountain in New Mexico, uh, <laughs> just a very a very sun baked, hard, earthy face that I just love to look at. And he plays Detective Hoke Mosley, who's not like your kind of like cool detective. Not like you first all. see him, like no. he's a like bum, kind of basically. he's a he's a bum, and that's what I what's so endearing about him, and what's so great about him is just like seeing. It's unclear, like, if he's doing, like, a Columbo thing where he's, like, kind of playing a little dumber than he actually is to get close to the guy, or if he's just, like, genuinely going through life so, uh, with such rose-colored, not rose-colored glasses, but with, like, such, uh, little care. Well, it's kind of like the Rudy thing, I feel like. It's, like, you so want him because he's so, like, not (laughs) able to. Like, you want him to kick the football so badly, right? But you know that it's just gonna—he's gonna get lucid and like you know, like Junior is going to lift the football from under him. Yeah. He's gonna steal his teeth and you know, like <laughs> steal his badge. And it's just like, wow, like you suck, bro. Like, yeah. you are terrible <laughs> at your job. Uh, but that's like the fun of it is that you kind of get to see a bad guy be bad until he can't be bad anymore. Yeah. And that's yeah. like how I would probably tell someone like, check out this movie if you want to see a bad guy be bad until it ultimately, you know comes to an end. Right. <laughs> yeah, I really like the how, you know, aggressive. I mean, from what I've read about like guys who go to prison for long periods of time, like they spend most of their lives in jail, like they tend to be this kind of like flighty and unstable where sure. they're just going to blow a shit ton of money and like right. do whatever as quickly as possible until they get caught again because they always get caught. They don't know how to stay out. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's a great feature of Junior here that like he can't even walk through an airport without, like, breaking a guy's fingers and accidentally killing him. Yeah, that was so crazy. There's there's such a (laughs) brutality to him, and yet he's so, like, weirdly charming and just so insane that you can't help but keep watching him. He's incredibly charismatic. Without a doubt. Yeah. I think you're right, Mason, that that is what killed Baldwin, that, like, people realized he was unstable, so they stopped giving him roles that were interesting like that. Yeah. In some way. Now he's doing game shows and shit. I don't know. He's a good guy. (laughs) He's he's a he's a the whole Baldwin family seems particularly cursed. Like, is there any safe Baldwin? Like any mm. safe Baldwin brother that you can think of? I don't know. It's a good I question. don't know. <laughs> I can't. I literally can't. Like, you got the one guy who did. Was it William Baldwin who did backdraft, and then we never saw him again? Yeah, Billy oh, Baldwin. Homicide, right? Yeah, Billy Baldwin. Yeah, Billy Baldwin was actually really good on. Uh, he's really good on. I, I can't he's remember if that's Billy he's or Daniel. Actor. Yeah, he's yeah, a Billy. good actor. But they both popped in the '90s. Stephen was on. I'm a, a celebrity. Get me out of here with Rob Goyevich's wife, and Hell then yeah. he, like became God. a Trump guy or something. Hell yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, and uh, Alec was like just this arresting, he's just this, this arresting screen presence when he's used. Uh, it, like he's even good, I think, in Black Klansman. Like he comes in. Oh, for he the is first, good in Black Klansman. He comes he's in for in the that? first. He comes in for the first like. Wow. Spike kind of does like Spike does his Spike thing, and he starts with like two or three things before he like gets to the movie. Just so you're like in the kind of universe that he wants you to be in, mm. and he plays this like kind of like I think it's like the president of the KKK or like a dramatization of the president of the KKK oh, okay. talking in front of these like projected images. This is what I remember of the movie, and I'm I'm not honestly that crazy about Black Klansmen, but I think that was really smart on Spike's end because of the fact that Alec Baldwin has been being been playing Trump on SNL for so yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of like subconsciously associate that character, that type of character hmm. with Alec Baldwin as like, Oh, this guy's a fascist. Um, but back to Miami blues. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So 
I think it, it is kind of interesting. This comes out in 90, and then, you know, my mind makes a jump, as it typically does, to Silence of the Lambs, which comes out next year. Yes. Which is Demi. Um, features a lot of the same that, players. That's, that's Demi kind of coming back. In yeah. a lot of ways, uh, a little bit, and it's like it's also like that might Silence of the Lambs might be the first movie of the '90s. You know what I'm saying? Like you think of the kind of That's a lot, a lot of the cultural kind of concerns of the '90s, and what and not in Silence. It's all kind of bubbling for a little bit. The serial killer, the FBI stuff, the the kind of grunginess, dark darkness of it, like the yeah. weird how wet that movie is at some point. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very wet movie in the nineties. I think we're a very wet decade. Cape um, Fear, Cape Water Fear. World. Waterworld. Oh, Waterworld. Talk about it. That's a dry movie. Wow. That's maybe the driest movie of the 90s, ironically. Yeah, maybe really? people were like, we should have. Uh, but I think it's just interesting that, like, Jonathan Demme's this guy that's, like, was present for the closing of one sort of cultural moment and the, the closing of the book on one cultural moment and the opening on another. Yeah. Uh, and I think. Uh, what's great about Miami Blues is it's a, just. It's, I had watched this, I think. It was, like, recommended on. Like a, it's, speaking of the dissolve, it was like I think the, the dissolve covered it at some point because there might have been a new DVD or something, and it was on my radar and it popped up on like Amazon Prime when I first moved to Chicago, uh, not moved to LA, uh, and so I haven't seen it in like two years. And this is just such a fun. This is just a watchable movie. Also, like it's I don't know if I'd call it fun because it is like kind of uh, brutal. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just it's so watchable, and I think I could. I just had such a good time watching it. It's entertaining. Um, I'd put it it's, that way. It's for sure. entertaining. I know we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I want to bring the discussion back to Jennifer Jason Lee because she is so good yes. in this movie. Yeah. Um, She's just perpetually an underrated actress. I 100% agree. Even her, like, little role in Good Time. I was like, holy crap. Like, she is, like, so compelling in Good Time. And then you don't see her for the rest of the film. She's in the movie for, like, ten minutes. She is so good at bringing in a character's history in the room with her the first time you see her. Without a doubt. Yeah, exactly. Um, And and just, she's so good in this. And I also, I love that uh, there's just, she has these fun little performance quirks in it. Like, I love when she's, uh... Just when she's contemplating that her husband might have uh, might be like a liar and a murderer, and she's making the vinegar pie. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk about that vinegar pie scene because yeah, that is a beautiful piece of acting. When oh yeah, she realizes that he it can be a liar and that he is lying to her, and that by extension, yeah, he's a criminal. And you just see her face like kind of drop because she really put her her trust in this guy for no mm-hmm. good reason. She's not a smart person, unfortunately. No. Like, <laughs> um, no. I think she's very sweet she's, though. <laughs> She's very believably not smart, too, that, like, it doesn't mean she's doesn't have her craft or about her. Like, she can do certain yeah. things. She's smart enough to try certain things. But, like, she also, you know, buys into this guy so hard because he's just so good at talking to her. And he could be so creative in the way he lies. Like, he tells her stories. You know, when he sets this picture for her, which I think is great. And she just totally buys into that dream. And then when it dies, you know, she actually does kind of give him a little eulogy. And it's yeah. so heartbreaking and awful and great it's a great bit um i wanted to i wanted to briefly touch on the fact that uh tak fujimoto shooting this film yes mm. and uh he you know i don't know if he was asc at the time i don't believe he was mm-hmm. but very shortly after shoot silence of the lambs you know that next year he's kind of a demi fave he shoots the sixth sense um he also did i think he was one of the like because, like, in Badlands, they had, like, three DPs or, like, three people who, like, worked in that movie on some, like, visual level at some point. He's, like, uncredited in that. Like, he just had a crazy interesting career. Uh, Craig wow. McKay, who edited the movie, he that guy's done a million and one things, but he's also the editor on Silence of the Lambs, so he's another Demi guy. Um, 
Demi and Getzman producing when I saw the fact that Demi and Getzman were actually producing the film. I was like, oh, that's how this movie got made. Yeah, right. Like, straight <laughs> up. Like, that's how this movie exists. And it's, like, so interesting to think, like, well, how does a movie like this or, like, movies of that sort of type where you're like, how did this ever even get made? Of course, the 90s was a very different landscape for theatrical releasing. Late as 80s, to, early 90s, yeah. yeah. Yeah, as opposed to 2019 where it's like you can't even put a movie out if it doesn't have a fucking superhero in it. But, or Disney. <laughs> or, or Disney. Elsa. <laughs> and, uh, but, like, uh, it's just interesting to see that, like, George Armitage, who, like, we didn't really know as a like as a culture before like who this guy was and like i'm sure you ask most people now and like they'd be like i don't even know who this really this guy is yeah but for that one for like that brief time in the 90s it was like (laughs) he was getting hooked up with like demi's guys and uh gary getzman who's like been on to been on to be tom hanks's producing partner and just you know they do all those like cnn docs and i think they did uh band of brothers and all that kind of stuff um, I love the fact that uh, there was a casting what if, which is a term that I stole from the rewatchable podcast, <laughs> but it is a casting what if as though uh, originally Fred Ward was going to play Junior uh, and Gene Hackman was going to play Hoke. That would have been such a different energy. Because and of I, the Baldwin. So cur- yeah, no Baldwin. I'm so curious how they would have played it. I don't know if I would have liked the junior, uh, the, the romance subplot as much if it was a man as old as Fred Ward being with the 23 year old, uh, uh yeah. with a heart of gold. That feels weird. It kind of wouldn't do, even been like compelling in the same way. It wouldn't. Yeah. It wouldn't have been compelling in this way. Cause there is like it, the weird, the weird, like kind of twisted heart that this movie has is you are, you kind of are rooting for junior and, and, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee to pull through and like have like the life that they want for themselves. Maybe that was just me, but I'm watching this and I'm like, Aside from the fact that he's a psychopathic murderer, like he seems to want, like I, I don't know, he's also like a controlling asshole. I want. So it's it's I a wanted, very confusing, confusing relationship. I wanted oh, what yeah. you were saying for Jennifer Jason Leigh. Exactly, that's what I mean. Sure. I think, yeah, it's like she is. She's so. Uh, she deserves so much better than this guy. It's unfortunate that's who she got. I will say, seeing like. There is like kind of a generational thing, like an old an old wizened cop is taking down this like young spry criminal. I would like to just see two old men duke it out on the streets of Miami, though. That would sure. be something else. <laughs> I feel oh like that. Is, I feel like in that, like it's interesting because I feel like you kind of have to shift your idea of that film one degree left or right because like the way they play it, it's like kind of like this black comedy, but it's also like at times gravely serious. But I feel like if you have two old guys duking it out in the streets of Miami, it kind of leans into the black comedy more yeah, so it's than the way, thriller. It would be way funnier. Like <laughs> It would be uh, like a noir up, basically. Like two yeah. old men <laughs> I also just love the colors in this film. Like oh, yeah. three colors. You, oh yeah. Like that hotel room where you meet Jennifer Jason Lee's character for the first time. Like I got such like GTA Vice City vibes from yeah, that, and just baby. like such like awesome color palettes, and like just Miami is a very interesting uh, locale, at least represented because it's like you have like the party scene and you have that club scene, and then you often oftentimes see like oh, well, you actually have this, like, rich, like, Latin Cuban history here as well. Or then in the case of Moonlight, it kind of gets totally flipped on its head. I, yeah. yeah, and yeah. I love in this movie that, like, the another thing I was thinking is, like, I, there's so many just, like, kind of old Miami storefronts and, like, so much old culture there, and I'm just like, how... I'm, none of those places exist now, right? Like, no. they've all been, like, kind of raised, and there's, like, like uh, luxury hotels where the pawn shop used to be. Sure. <laughs> where that great mm-hmm. pawn shop used to be. Uh, which is cool, because, like, it's capturing this, like, point of when Miami was really like the coolest place to be. Uh, it just, yeah, I totally agree. Great. Just 
design on this thing. 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Connor, do you recommend this movie? Full recommend. Full recommend. I give it a full recommend, too. This is just a... If, especially if you like crime stuff uh, or, like, just action movies. If you just want to watch, like, a good... Perf- if, if you just want to watch, I think, like, just a, 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 a fun kind of twisted movie... Uh, if you're thinking like your Thursday night, that's your kind of Thursday night mood. I'd say put it, put this on. This is a good movie. I love it. Recommend. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely fits. Would, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I, I was just gonna say, hundred percent fits the bill of what I think this podcast is all about. Of like, where the fuck did this thing come from? Hell yeah! How the hell did this mm-hmm. thing get made? Mm-hmm. Who the hell has seen this movie? Oh, by the way, it's awesome. Yeah. Like I feel <laughs> like this is like exactly kind of the bill of what I, at least I'm trying to find in these in these episodes and what I hope that, like, when it's my turn to bring stuff to the table, it's like, oh, you got to check this thing out. I 100% full recommend this as well. I don't think it's going to be everybody's cup of tea, but I still full recommend. Yeah, I mean, I think you if listening to this discussion, you would be able to know if you would like this movie or not. And if you think you would, if you're just, like, in, like, five th- points of a direction to watching mm-hmm. it, like, five percent of a way to watching it just just do it i think you'll 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 enjoy for it. alec baldwin and jennifer jason lee alone <laughs> like <laughs> it's worth it yeah for uh it's worth it uh so i think that wraps it wraps it up uh wraps it up for us yeah. uh connor thanks for coming on the show man you too thanks guys uh really happy to be here this is yeah fun. so where can uh where can folks uh where can folks find you if they want to find you so you can find my Facebook page under uh, C.M. Crockford. I also have a writer's portfolio, but they can also find my poetry, nonfiction, and criticism. Uh, my, you can find my music articles at No Recess Magazine. And uh, you can just find my poetry anywhere, pretty much. Just Google C.M. Crockford and look what you find. Awesome. Great. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram at HotDogDebicki, on Letterboxd at uh, Mason McGuire. You can also find me on The Barn, a podcast about The Shield that I co-host right. with my good buddy Connor right here. So, uh yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, but I don't want you to follow me, so I'm not going <laughs> to plug my Twitter. Noah is the um, only person on this podcast currently with a Twitter. <laughs> but uh, I want to plug something else instead. Uh, oh, sweet. There's this show that I do every once in a while. It's called mm. Everything Now, um, and it's a live stream Twitch improv show that ev- that airs twice a week, Wednesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. on Twitch under the, the moniker Everything Now. Uh, I do it, you know, as often as they ask me to. I always have a great time. They don't really need me to plug it for them, but this is just, and I'm not being not being paid under the table <laughs> to plug this for them at all, but uh, I just have a great time doing it. Uh, I really enjoy doing it with the people who do it and who put it on. You know, it's really impressive how, you know, they, they literally do it twice a week out of their house. Nice. You know, and it's nice, just so man. fun. Yeah, that's so. A, you know, that's a good plug. You should We should plug our friend stuff if we have if we have friends doing cool stuff. Yeah. Or just get exactly. them on the podcast so they can talk about something that's not their cool stuff. And then they'll get endeared to the audience will get endeared to them and check it out on their own volition later. Oh, yeah, we love that. We're setting goals here on this podcast. <laughs> that's uh, right. Connor, <laughs> it was really nice to e meet you and e talk to you over Skype. Uh, hope wish you the best of luck. I'm gonna look your your work. Like uh, I'm gonna yeah, I'm folks. gonna look it up. Yeah, uh, please look up Connor's work. He's a very good poet. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you all when we see you. All right. Cheers.